0: Thanks for welcoming me here today. I'll be using the ESV translation in my sermon. And another thing I meant to say this morning, but I forgot. I love kids in worship. Don't worry at all about I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old at home. I love to... when they can hear the word of God. So they're very, very welcome. God wants you here, kids. So how do you prepare somebody for a test if you know they're going to fail that test? kind of a funny thing to think about, but Jesus knows what's coming. He sees the future. He's speaking to his disciples right before they fall on their face, right before they stumble in their faith, right before Peter disowns the name of Jesus. He's preparing them, and they've got a test. He knows they're going to fail that test. Well, how do you prepare somebody in that kind of situation? We see in the text what Jesus is doing for the disciples and what he's doing for us. He's equipping them with truth. He's equipping them with hope, with words to strengthen them so that they'll know how to pick themselves back up by his power, by his strength, through his word after they've stumbled. Let's look there and find encouragement from Jesus Christ, encouragement for us in our weakness, to help us in our pathway, in our calling. Look at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? This is the kind of question you ask when your heart is uneasy. He knows that Jesus is about to leave. Jesus has actually already told them exactly where he's going. He's told them time and again that he's going to the Father, that he's going back to the one who sent him. They should have known the answer. Perhaps Peter did know the answer, but it's when something happens that's going on too fast around you and you're trying to catch up, what's going on, Peter says. Lord, where are you going? He's got a lot in his heart. Peter has an uneasiness in his heart in this moment. He's been with Jesus for three years, and they've come to this this final night together, this last supper together together. He's not ready for Jesus to leave, or he doesn't think he is. Anyway, he says, Lord, where are you going? And notice that Jesus doesn't answer the question. He answers another question, which is, Lord, can I come with you? That's the question Jesus answers. Look what he says. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. In other words, no, Peter, you can't follow me now. Sometimes we make our requests known to God, and God says no. Why would God say no if he loves us? If he's a loving father who gives good gifts to his children, who hears our prayers and answers them, why would God say no? Well, we see a couple things right here. Sometimes God says no to us when we ask for something because we're not ready to receive that thing that we're asking for. Peter's not ready to die for Jesus. Maybe his spirit is willing, but his flesh is weak. In this time of testing, he's not going to be ready. Jesus knows that. Sometimes we're not ready for the things we ask of God. And sometimes God has another plan or purpose for us. And we see that in Peter. Jesus is the one who gave Peter the name Peter. He said, on this rock, I'll build my church. After Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ. And if you read the Bible, you see it in Acts. God had a purpose for Peter in building the church. It wasn't his purpose to die this night. So he says, no, you can't come with me right now. I've got something else for you to do. And God has a purpose for you, brothers and sisters. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you follow him, you can be sure that he's prepared you for good works. He's prepared the works ahead of time for you to walk in them. He's created you in Christ Jesus for good works, says Ephesians 2.10. And third, sometimes God says no to us when we ask something so that he can say yes later. Look at that passage right here. Jesus said, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus is saying, you can't come now, but yes, you will. You will follow me. You will suffer and die for me, Peter, but not tonight. And that's true with us. Sometimes we ask God for something, and he says, no now, but yes later. And here's one of these first ways that Jesus is equipping Peter for how to pick himself back up after he stumbles and falls. Because he's about to deny Jesus, but Jesus is saying, yeah, you're going to deny me tonight, but you will follow afterward. You will continue on with me. Your journey with me isn't going to end tonight after you deny me. No, I'm not going to let go of you, Peter. Peter. I'm going to finish the work that I started in you. Peter doesn't know all this is going to happen, but Jesus is giving it to him ahead of time. He's giving him the stuff he needs to continue on in his Christian walk. Where I'm going now, you cannot follow. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Now as human beings, we don't like hearing no. We don't like hearing no when we ask for something. My kids don't like hearing no when they ask for something. What's the first thing you might say after someone tells you no? You probably say, why? Why can't I have it? And that's what Peter says. Look what he says in verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why? Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter thought he was ready to lay down his life for Jesus. Peter thought too highly of himself. And the scriptures warn us not to think too highly of ourselves. Sin of pride is deadly. It's clear to God. It's not always clear to us when we're being prideful. We can very quickly think of ourselves too highly than we ought. Peter thinks he's ready to give his very own life for Jesus. And his words are echoing the words of Jesus that he spoke Jesus spoke in John 10 when he told them that he was the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now we have it here. Peter's saying, I'll lay down my life for you. And Peter's missing something. He's not understanding something. He's not understanding how desperately he needs Jesus to lay down his life for Peter. Because we need Jesus so desperately. We need the death that he died for us. We are so desperate for his grace because we're so much like Peter. Full of sin, pride. But Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am foremost. That's what Paul said and that's what he taught us to think of ourselves. To recognize our desperate need for the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Something that we'll remember later today when we take of communion Jesus was the one who was going to die and lay down his life for Peter, not Peter for Jesus. So Jesus gives Peter some words. He gives him something that he needs, which is a harsh rebuke. When somebody loves us, they know when to speak harsh words to us. They know what to say to us. Even when it's difficult, they don't hold back. They tell us what we need to hear. And when Jesus encounters this incredible pride in Peter, this stubbornness, this rejection of Jesus' words, he gives him this rebuke in verse 38. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. It's piercing. It's piercing. These words are so familiar to us that they might lose some of their sting. But let me just read to you something that Jesus said in Mark 8. Same chapter where Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He says in Mark 8, 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. It's a devastating sin to deny the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to pray that God would not let us fall to that extent, that we're denying the name of Jesus publicly. This is a grave sin. And it's not just that he'll deny the name of Jesus once, but he'll do it three times which shows a certain resolve in his sin, a committedness to his sin, to deny the name of Jesus three times. And this just wasn't a typical person you'd walk by. This is Peter, one of the 12, a leader among the 12. Imagine hearing about a Christian brother or sister whom you've admired for a long time, who you've walked with for a long time, and hearing that they denied the name of Jesus Christ. It would shake you. It might make you question your own sense of salvation. If that person could stumble so much, am I going to be okay? Am I going to fall? Now, we have reason to think that Peter didn't really believe Jesus at this warning in verse 38. He says in the other gospels something to the effect of, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown your name. That wasn't true. He thought too highly of himself. He thought himself incapable Of falling into that sin. And perhaps that's why he fell. We see a warning here in Peter, a stubbornness. If we think ourselves incapable of falling into sin, it's in that moment when we're most vulnerable to fall into sin. Sin is crouching at our door. Satan roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have to be on our guard. We have to be humble, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us, not full of pride and thinking we're too strong to ever fall. But the disciples heard this this rebuke from Jesus, this terrible thought of, of Peter denying Christ three times in one night, and their hearts were shaken. They must have been shaken, because we see what Jesus says in the very next verse. It's starting a new chapter, but it's continuing the same thought and same conversation here in chapter 14, verse 1. Speaking now to the disciples, we've moved into a new section. He speaks to the crowd of disciples and says, Let not your hearts be troubled. How couldn't you be troubled hearing that? But Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Sin is troubling. Our own weakness and failure is troubling. You may have been very discouraged at one time in your life because of your own sin and weakness or because of the sin and weakness of other Christians. But salvation doesn't depend on you. Why do you have salvation in the Lord? It's not because of you. It's because of God. God saves us. God delivers us. We're not always faithful, but God is always faithful. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And if you find yourself stumbling or struggling or you've fallen on your face, or you feel yourself having wandered away from God and you feel completely lost, and you think, where am I supposed to go? Jesus tells us here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Do you see that? Verse 1, believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, if you're struggling in your faith, come back to these very first things. Come back to this most basic thing. Put your faith in Jesus. If you feel as if maybe I'm not saved... What should you do? Well, right now, confess your faith in Jesus. Confess your faith in God. Faith is where it starts for us. We're saved by grace through faith. Reaffirm that basic faith you have. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is what's going to pick them up after they stumble. Yeah, they're going to stumble and fall, but they're going to remember these words. They're going to remember these words after this night. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus keeps just laying hope into them, laying pictures into them, into their minds. Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Where did Jesus go after this? Did he just leave them and forget about them? No. He would ascend into heaven. He was preparing a place for them. He was getting a room ready for them. He was placing their name on a room. He's basically saying to them, look, I'm not wasting my time. I'm going to get something ready for you. You're going to get there. Don't think you're not going to get there. Don't lose your sense of assurance and salvation just because of your sin, because you're forgetting about my power. My grace is greater than all of your sin. Keep coming back to me. Keep believing in me, confessing your sins to me. I'm gonna wash you clean of every sin. I'm gonna get you there. I'm putting your name on the room. Incredible picture. Jesus is getting all things ready for us. There's many rooms. Our salvation rests in God. And he says in verse 3: If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Does that picture give you hope? Whenever you're struggling, whenever you're feeling weak, you think, Can I really continue on in this Christian life? Jesus Himself is going to escort you to the kingdom. He's coming again. We look at this world, we see all kinds of problems. We see sin, we see destruction, we see chaos. He's coming again to make all things new, to make all things right. He's going to destroy evil, destroy death. He's going to renew us. Think of our loved ones who have died in the Lord. He's going to raise their bodies back up. He's going to raise us up. He's going to bring us into the kingdom. That's an extremely powerful thought when you're feeling completely defeated Or completely discouraged, if you're battling despair from Satan, to remember that Jesus Christ is coming back to finish the job he started. And we remember the words of Paul in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But even after he leaves and goes back to heaven, it's not as if... They won't know where to go. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, and you know the way to where I am going. You know the way. Ever get lost before? It's pretty scary to be in the darkness, like in the woods or something, when it's completely dark and you don't know where you are. (laughs) My family and I, we drove to Maine. We went to Acadia National Park. It was incredible. And we stayed till sunset, but then we had to drive home because we were staying two hours away. There wasn't a lot of streetlights on the roads. We're driving through the dark. We had a GPS, and it was still a little bit scary. Imagine being completely lost. The man whom you followed, who's no mere man, you followed him for three years, and he's going. He's going away. The disciples feel lost. They feel confused. He's giving them all this truth, but it's just not connecting with them. They're looking everywhere for truth, but it's right before their face. And so we look here in verse 5. Thomas is speaking, and he says a question that basically echoes what Peter said back in chapter 13, 36. Here in 14, 5, Thomas said to them, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? They should have known where he was going. He said it time and again, he's going to the Father. And he's just implied it in the last couple of verses. He's going to the Father's house. There's many rooms there. So what is, I don't know what he means when he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. It's almost as if he's saying, we don't know the Father. Because he's going to the Father. We'll get back to that in a second. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? He thinks it's impossible for them to know the way. Jesus, we're completely lost. What do you mean we know the way? It's kind of like when they were in the boat. And the storm was coming. And they felt like they were going to die. But Jesus was in the boat with them. When Jesus is in the boat with you, you're safe. And he's saying to them, you know the way. And why do you know the way? Look what Jesus says in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way. Jesus is the way. Not just the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. We look all around, but the answer is right there in front of us. The answer was right there in front of him, in front of Thomas. And sometimes we can sit in church for years and years, and the truth can be right there before us, and we can be looking everywhere else in our life for truth. We can be looking everywhere else in the world to find that feeling of life and of being alive. We can be looking everywhere else in the world for the way. What's the way to true happiness? What's the way to that sense of purpose and meaning? But it can be right there before us all along. Jesus is the way. His words echo what Jesus said to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Our answer is in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Our answer is in Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth that we need to know. There's so much knowledge in the world. But if you only knew one thing, what would you want it to be? It's to know the Lord Jesus Christ. A child can know. We need, all we need is childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It can seem deceptively simple, what it requires to be saved. You don't need to accomplish something great. You don't need to earn your way into the kingdom. You need to know Jesus Christ. You need to know the truth. Jesus Christ is the life. To know Jesus is to know life. Maybe you've seen that before. It says, know Jesus, know life. But if you know Jesus, then you know life. That's true. He is the way. The earliest Christians called themselves followers of the way. Kind of echoing what Jesus says here. They were followers of Jesus, followers of the way. If you know Jesus Christ, friends, you're never lost. You're never lost. You know the way if you know Jesus Christ. And through all the chaos of life and all the chaos of the world you see around you, if you know Jesus Christ, you know the way. You're never lost. People in this world feel lost. What do they need? They need the way. They need Jesus. There's no other way. And that's what Jesus says in this next phrase. No one comes to the Father except through me. There aren't many paths to God. There is one path to God, and that's Jesus Christ. There aren't other ways to go. You can't climb in any other way. You can't get there through some other means. It's not as if all religions are true and Christianity is just like the best expression of some religious feeling. That's not the case. The salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. If you invert this phrase, it's true. The only way to come to the Father is through Jesus Christ. Everybody who comes to the Father comes through Jesus. That's why we've got to shine our light. That's why we got to let people know what we believe, because they're going to die without Jesus. They're lost without Jesus. They don't have the truth or the life or the way without Jesus. Jesus continues in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. That's what it says in the ESV. It says in the bulletin here, if you really know me, you will know my father also. If you know Jesus, you know the God and creator of the universe because it is through Jesus Christ that we come to the Father. When, when Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, it's as if he said, we don't know the Father. And Jesus is saying here, if you know me, you know the Father. He's, he's reaffirming that to Thomas and to the disciples. You might feel far from God at times. Maybe you feel far from God now. Or maybe you're going through something that makes you feel alone. But if you know Jesus, you know the Father. And he knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your heart. He knows your pain. He knows your struggles. And if you know Jesus, you know him. Jesus keeps laying the hope into them at the end of this phrase. In in this last phrase in verse 7, he says, From now on you do know him and have seen him. Thomas, you do know him. You have seen him. I've shown him to you. What words of hope to come right before they're to stumble and to fall? This is doubting Thomas. Thomas, who's going to struggle with his faith. Thomas, who might question whether or not he's truly saved. And Jesus says to him, you do know him and have seen him. These are powerful words. You may feel as if you're struggling in your faith. You may feel as if, are you going to get through this trial? You may look and see other Christians stumble and think, am I going to fall? Or look back at your own sin and say, am I really worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You might think, am I ever going to make it into the kingdom? We struggle with salvation. We have this struggle with our our assurance of salvation. Where do we go? This word tells us something. Take this away. From this passage this morning. Take away the importance of laying up God's word in your heart. The words of men are not always comforting. They're not always powerful. But the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And when you are falling and struggling and lost. And feel like you don't know where you are. And you don't know where God is. And you're feeling completely lost. Come back to these words of hope. Put them in your heart so that when you're completely lost, you'll know the truth. Remember these words. This is what Jesus is giving them. He's giving them his words so that they'll be able to pick themselves back up after they fall. By remembering the things he said to them. Remembering that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Remembering that they should believe in God and believe also in him. Remembering that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for them remembering that he's coming again to bring them to himself. We need these things. In the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our time here on earth, we need to remember these things. He's given us these words. So, so take his words and his promises, not just this passage, but take this word and write it on your heart. This is the thing that's going to get you through. His word and spirit working through you. That's what's going to give you strength. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. And and friends may leave us and abandon us the way that they did to Jesus here, but God says to us, I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Pray with me, brothers and sisters. Father, Father, we can speak to you because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. And we know you love us. It's not that we loved you first, but you loved us first. We pray, God, that you'd help us to trust you and follow you. We pray that everybody here, that we would all know you in the power of your resurrection That we would know Christ. That we'd share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, we may attain the resurrection of the dead. Lord, we pray for the young people. We pray for the children. Lord, that they'd come to know you at a young age. That they'd come to saving faith in you. Lord, we pray that your word would, would hound them. And wouldn't leave their minds until they come to that faith. And even then, that it would stay near to them throughout their whole lives. We pray that your word would stay fast in our hearts, that we wouldn't look at it and then walk away and forget what we saw, but that your word would be on us, that it would be convicting us concerning sin and righteousness, that it would be giving us hope when we need it. We pray that your word would be near to us. Lord, we are feeble and frail, but you are strong. We are sheep. You are our shepherd. Lord, we wander and become lost, but you find us. And we pray that you would draw back those who are wondering at this time, those who are lost. We pray for those in this community who do not know you, that they would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would raise up this church as a light for the nations to draw all people to yourselves. We pray, God, that your word would shine brightly in us and your spirit and your word working together would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth.